It's Christmas time! Yay! We've been waiting. It's uh, it's a funny season. Um, either uh, Christmas is like the best season ever, or it's the worst, and it kind of depends on where your life is at. Sometimes it's both. Uh, you know, alternates, oscillates, sort of like a wave function. Um, y- you go from the highest highs to the lowest lows. You may have heard uh, that there's like an urban myth that the suicide rate um, in the United States of America peaks during the Christmas season. That's not true. Uh, it actually peaks during spring, if you can believe it. Um, but you can understand intuitively why people might think that, right? Um, because, you know, Christmas is this time where we, uh, we celebrate with our families and we get together and we, we have these amazing, you know, experiences of togetherness and unity. Uh, you kind of set aside our, our differences and we, and we gather. And, and if you're in that situation where you're not able to do that for whatever reason, you can imagine the Christmas season being the worst one of the year. If you're in any kind of crisis, Christmas almost magnifies it because everyone else seems to be, you know, around the hearth and home and, 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 and you're not. I've had a couple Christmases like that. Um, I've had a few Christmases where um, just in terms of my... Um, my, my mentality and where I was in life, uh, I didn't feel anything like what I knew I was supposed to feel. In fact, what I had remembered feeling when I was a kid. In fact, Christmas uh, became a feeling of abandonment by God. You know, God, you're, you're coming, right? Advent. This is what we call Christmas, Advent. That's uh, from the Latin adventus. Uh, and it's, it's from the Latin verb um, advenio or advenio, uh, the coming, arrival Christmas is the arrival of God. It's the season of arrival where we celebrate God showing up. And how unfortunate, how devastating is it when the only thing you don't feel is God showing up? In fact, it feels instead like God's abandoned you. And so in this room right now, there are three kinds of people. There are the people who are experiencing something like that, something that I've, ex- I've experienced in the past, and probably you, too, you have too, even if you're not now. It's a, your, your life's in crisis, right? Things are upside down. It's topsy-turvy. You know how it's supposed to be, and it's not like that. You know that you're supposed to be, you know, in love um, and, and, and deeply satisfied in your relationships or whatever. You know that you're supposed to have um, the, your, your job figured out. And, and you know you're supposed to have your family all figured out. And you know you're supposed to have your kids all figured out. And yet you don't. You know the world's supposed to be sorted out. And yet you hear stories about what's going on in Syria and you realize it's not. And you might be asking, where are you, God? I thought you were coming. This is the season of your coming, and and all I feel, all I sense, all I perceive is your absence. There are some people here who uh, have actually just come through a time of crisis. And that that could be a long period of time, a long period of, you know, wandering in the desert, we say. We're just looking for God's movement, God's purpose, something to, to take you from where you were to where you needed to be. And you've experienced it, you've come through it, and, and, and it's easy for you. Right now, Christmas season feels like Christmas. Because you know that God is real. God has been present in your life. He's been faithful to you. And he's shown up. You've seen his arrival. And it's impacted you in a way that you cannot deny. That's an awesome place to be. 
Human beings actually uh, have a hard time making it last. Our memories are short. It's funny, if you read the Old Testament, almost every psalm has some mention of God's faithfulness in the past. It's, It's a reminder because we have such a hard time remembering. But if you're in that space, when you come to the season of Advent, you know that God has arrived. And you can feel it deeply. There's a third... Uh, sort of person here, and, and, and you're the status quo. Things have been on an on a, on a 11, you've been plateaued for a while, and it's a good plateau. You, you, you're up here, and it's a good place, and you're just kind of rolling there. And it is awesome. It's good to be you. I, I, so I'm, in a way, I kind of feel like that right now. It's good to be me. Um, I, I feel so blessed uh, to be a part of this congregation, to be with you. I feel really like uh, I, I've, I've been wondering for a while and God for protected me and saved me and, and brought me to a place in my life where I look around and I'm like, man, this is really, really good. Thank you, God. And what's actually hard, what's hard for me right now is to remember to invite God in, right? Because everything's great and I don't have this, this sense of need and we talked last week about prayer and how prayer, you want to invite God into everything, a constant presence in your life. Well, that's hard when things are plateaued, when there's status quo, when all is well. It's difficult to involve God in everything that's going on in your life because you're just rolling. But what if, what if those responses that we have the, the, the sense that we have, that we kind of figure, we kind of know what it looks like when God arrives, when God shows up. We know what it looks like when God's involved in our life. What if we're, what if we're completely wrong about that? What if we actually don't know what it looks like when God arrives? What if we have a mis, uh, we've, we've misconstrued it because of the way we perceive our lives, the way we perceive our world, we're actually deceived or we, we, we're not quite sure. We, we actually don't know what it looks like when God shows up in our lives and in the world. What if we're wrong about it? Well, I want to suggest to you that if there's any time that we can look at, we can see very clearly what it looks like when God arrives, when God shows up, it's Christmas. It's when he literally comes in the flesh. And I think if we take a look at this text from Matthew, we're going to get a deeper understanding a sign, a way to perceive what it looks like when God arrives. Not only with Jesus 2,000 years ago, but also right here in 2016, almost 2017. All the texts that you need are on the back of your note sheet, um, or you can check your pew Bible, and it'll also be on the screen. But this is a pretty long chunk of text, so we're going to roll through it. Um, if you know the Christmas story, the setup is, is that the, uh, the wise men uh, have seen a star, and they recognize that something por- uh, tremendous is happening, uh, portents in the sky, and, and, and they know that the, a king is going to be born to the, the Jewish people, and so they go and they, they meet Herod. They're like, Herod, where's your new king? And Herod's like, nope, nope, there's no new king. Last thing I need is a new king. I'm, a, I'm doing great, thanks. And he's like, but, but if you guys find that king, why don't you come and tell me about it? And they, they follow the star. They, they, they go to Bethlehem and they, they find Jesus, who's just been born. Jesus has just arrived, right? And they find him. And we pick up the story right here in verse 13. Um, they've, they've given their, their gold and their frankincense and their myrrh, and now they're going to go back home. And when the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, Jesus' father, his earthly father, in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. 
For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When Joseph arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord to the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. So they go to, to Egypt. They run in the middle of the night. Well, er, well, Herod finds out. When he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, he was exceedingly angry. He sent forth his soldiers and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all of its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. He's like, well, the wise men were here at this time, and they were looking for a newborn king, so it must be two years or younger, so we've got to get rid of all my, all my, my competition. And then, in this, was fulfilled, was, was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. But then later, Herod dies, and behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to, to jo, uh, in a dream to Joseph while he's living in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, go back to Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then Joseph arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there because Archelaus was even worse. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside to the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. A lot of prophecy in there. Did you notice? I mean, three different times. Matthew kind of highlights what's going on. And he says, hey, this is, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. Now, when we think about the fulfillment of prophecy, um, we think about this guy. Can you believe this guy? Where is he? He's up there. He's coming. There he is. Michael Lee. You know this guy? He's from Mission Viejo. He graduated from Mission Viejo High School in 1993. This was his yearbook photo. Michael Lee, Chicago Cubs, 2016 World Champions. You heard it here first. I mean, what? Did you hear about that? He was like national news. He, mo- he moved to uh, Chicago. They, they, someone found his, uh, his, his yearbook uh, and put it on Facebook while the Cubs were on their way to a world championship. And so he got interviewed on like CNN and Fox and all these places. I mean, this guy, he could see into the future, right? I mean, here he is in 1993 and he's just peering He's like, 2016, it's going to be a good year for the Cubs. Only a hun- it's going to take him 108 years to get back to champ- championship. And he was right. And this is much better than uh, if you were following the, uh, the, the concerns about whether or not Back to the Future 2 would be proven correct in its prediction of the Cubs championship. You guys remember this, right? Apparently in 1985, when Back to the Future 2 takes place, uh, they go to the future, 2015, and, and, and in the future, in 2015, the Cubs are winning the championship. And so they take the, the book back, and it doesn't matter. But the point is, is that in, in the 1980s, they were saying 2015 was when the, the Cubs were going to win. They were wrong. Bad prophets. Michael Lee, good prophet. If you're, if you're taking t- uh, stock tips, you know, this is the guy you want to talk to, Right? He's the one who's going to take care of you. And that's kind of what we think about when we think about prophecy being fulfilled, right? We think that we're someone who can peer into the future and can pinpoint the day and can tell us what's going to happen. 
Well, interestingly, in this text, and in a lot of places, that's really not kind of what's going on with prophecy. In fact, if you, if you, think, if you read it in the New Testament, the way that it talks about prophecy being fulfilled, you're going to recognize uh, very quickly that uh, fulfilling the words of a prophet does not always mean predicting the future in that back to the future 2015 Chicago Cubs sense of the word. This is the first thing in your note sheets. Uh, fulfilling the words of a prophet does not necessarily, does not always mean predicting the future. It can. And actually in the, the last of these prophecies, maybe a little bit of that's going on. But that's not primarily what Matthew's after. He's not, actually, he's, he's not actually saying, hey, if you look back in the Old Testament and you see what these guys said, you're going to recognize that they were predicting the time, the hour, the day, what it was going to look like. And that's, you know, that's, how we know, that's how we prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay? That's kind of one way of looking at prophecy. That is not what Matthew's up to. That is not what he's after. Instead, what Matthew's up to, what he's after, is getting us a sense of what it looks like when God acts he wants us to recognize, he's, he's looking at anybody who knows the history of Israel and says, if you look back, you're going to start to see something. And you're going to recognize this is what it looks like when God arrives. This is what it looks like when he shows up. And if you understand that, and you've got that in your mind, when you look at what's happened with Jesus, you're going to see that the same thing just happens. This is exactly what it looks like when God arrives. So let's take a look. Let's, let's look at, at a couple of these, uh, these texts and see what it is that Matthew's trying to bring out. Um, if you are on the back of uh, your bulletin and you're following the text, you know that in, um, in verse 15, um, they're talking about being in Egypt, like Joseph has run to Egypt with uh, Jesus, and then he, he brings him back into Israel, right? Um, so that we could fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, verse 15, out of Egypt I called my son. Well, that's a quote from Hosea 11.1. 1. And I've reprinted it on the back of your note sheet where it says, When Israel was a child, Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. So Hosea is, is thinking about the past of Israel. And he's talking about that moment when, when, when Israel was called out of Egypt, called, if you remember the story, from slavery, Right? What God did is he, he got his man, Moses, and he gave Moses his authority and his power. And he said, I want you to get my people out of slavery. Do you remember how the story goes? Moses walks up. He's got the authority and power of God. He walks up to Pharaoh, and he's like, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, great idea. <laughs> get out of here. Because that's what you do when people try to take your slaves away, right? No. Here's a, this, is a, this is a true fact. You can take this to the bank. This is like death and taxes. It's always true. If you try to take someone's slaves away, they will, tr they will start a war. They, because here's the deal. If you're, if you're Egypt and you're running the show, you've recognized that it's really, really great for you to have a whole bunch of free labor that you can treat any way you like. And when someone says to you, hey, uh, can, we, can we get some slaves out of here? You're, you're, that is the last thing. That is the opposite of what you do. And if you remember what actually happens in the text in, in Exodus, what goes on is, is uh, Pharaoh's like, uh, no, absolutely not. In fact, in fact, because you asked, I'm going to make um, your life worse. I'm going to hurt you because I'm a little bit worried that you're starting to get uppity that you're starting to have a little bit um, too, you know, too much. You think, you think too much of yourselves. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my boot and I'm going to put it on your neck and I'm going to grind you into the ground. 
what's interesting is when that happens, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, are looking at Moses and they're like, hey, man, maybe you could shut up because this is awful. It's interesting, when, when, when God shows up, when God arrives with the power and authority that he's given to Moses saying, let my people go, things actually get worse for Israel. Things actually start to get topsy-turvy, they get chaotic. And if you can imagine, if you can imagine, you would, you're one of these people and suddenly you're working harder, you're being beat more often, and, and there's this guy stirring up the pot, and he's, you know, Moses is kind of a rich guy, he's, you know, he's up, he, he's not suffering like you are. And you're starting to think, hey man, quiet down. I don't like what you're up to. In fact, if you're crying out to God at all, you're like, God, can you please take Moses away? It, it, it seems like he's, he's, God, I feel like he's, I feel like you've, you've left us, you've abandoned us. This, this chaos, this topsy-turviness, it doesn't look like the arrival of God at all. It looks like God's Laughing. Looks like God's taken a hike. And yet in the middle of that, what's happening is God is setting up this miraculous deliverance. Think about this. Remember, God does do some God magic, right? If you're, if you're, if you're God and you're trying to get the people out of slavery, what would you do? Would you, A, um, just be like, like that and then have Pharaoh's heart turn around and be like, yeah, take my slaves. See ya. That seems like a really good use of your all-powerful God power, right? Instead, God hardens Pharaoh's heart and then brings, you know, plagues and whatnot. I mean, there are some reasons why God does that, and we could talk about that in a later date. But notice that he could have just brought the people out. But instead, he shows his power and he does these miraculous things in a way that actually makes it worse for them in the short term. His arrival hurts Out of Egypt, I called my son. Do you remember Israel? Do you remember what it was like when I called you out of Egypt? What you're seeing in Jesus is the same thing because I am the same God. The second uh, pro- prophetic fulfillment, um, it's a quote from, from Jeremiah 31.15, and, and this, is, this is right after the the slaughter of the male, male children. I mean, this is pretty violent. If you're, by the way, if you, if you have a nativity scene in your house, and I do, isn't it interesting that none of our nativity scenes include, like, you know, Roman soldiers with, like, coming through and, and, and massacring? Like, seriously, the way that it's told, I mean, it's, it's, it's as if you've got your nativity scene, and right off the side is, like, marauding troops coming through to wipe everybody out. That's, that's the Christmas story. And, and this is what, this is what uh, Matthew... He gets us to listen to. He says, uh, This was fulfilled, what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is a quote from Jeremiah 31. And again, in the context of Jeremiah, Jeremiah um, is, is telling Israel what's really going on with the exile to Babylon. This is, you know, if you think of the um, liberation from Egypt as like the defining moment in Israel's history, the second defining moment is the exile to Babylon and the return from Babylon. The people of Israel depart from God and God says, nope. 
and he chastises them. He allows Babylon to come in and wipe them out. And there's this, this tragic moment, tragic moment where, where the Babylonians come in and they, they lay waste to Jerusalem. They just annihilate it. And then they take um, a, a small group of captives up north to the city of Ramah. And from there they begin deportations to Babylon. And, and, and the prophet Jeremiah says, you are going to be, Ra- Rachel, um, you might think of her as the matriarch of Israel. Like it's almost metaphorically as though she's watching it happen as, as her children, her great, 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 great grandchildren are being slaughtered and then being sent off to Babylon from Ramah where the deportations are taking place. It's a pretty violent, pretty graphic expression of what happened in Israel's history. But if you, if you open up and you read Jeremiah 31, you see what goes on in that chapter. It's fascinating because what it really is, it's a chapter of hope. It's saying, I know this looks awful right now. This is bloody. This is violent. This is sick. But I want you to understand, this is what my arrival looks like. I am beginning the liberation of the people right now. I am setting you up for a bright future, a future when I'm going to bring you back from Babylon. I'm going to set you up and make you righteous and make you holy for me. And you are going to thrive like you've never thrived before. But it starts here, in this place of blood and weeping and fire. If you're one of these... Israelites being carted off to Babylon, what you're thinking is not, ah, God came. You're thinking, God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you abandoned us? And yet in the prophetic vision, Jeremiah understands this is the beginning of what is good. This is the beginning of hope. The last um, text, it's interesting, it's not, uh, this um, prophecy isn't a prophecy. It's probably drawn from several different um, prophetic texts. Uh, That's kind of why Matthew signals this. He says this in um, in verse 23. That would be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, multiple, because he's kind of cobbling together um, a couple of prophetic texts. But really the primary one, the one that's most interesting, is Isaiah 11.1 which uh, reads, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch, um, in Hebrew, Netzer, shall grow out of his roots. This at the time was widely understood to be a messianic text, a text predicting what the Messiah would be like. And it's so interesting um, that, uh, that Netzer um, is very much exactly how you would pronounce the word Nazarene um, in in the sort of borrowed Greek that, uh, that Matthew's writing in. So, so when, when you hear Netzer, you kind of also hear Nazarene. It, it, the word sounds almost identical in uh, Hebrew and, Ar- and Aramaic. And so, uh, the, so Matthew's looking, and, and, he, and he sees this interesting, this interesting parallel, this interesting juxtaposition where, um, where uh, the stem of Jesse, Jesse is David's father, right? Um, David's father, the Davidic line of kings, another, another uh, stem, another branch is going to come from that, from that Davidic line. And, and he's going to be a Nazarene, if you, if you hear the word play. There shall be a, a, a Nazarene. He shall be called a Nazarene, and he'll grow out of his roots. A new king is coming. And what this is doing is it's setting the coming of Jesus in the context of the coming of David, the first king of Israel, or first great king of Israel. Do you remember that story? Do you remember what happens? It's awesome. Uh, David gets anointed as, as the new king, and Saul, the current king, is like, yes, I'm so glad that, that someone's going to come and replace me and make sure that none of my descendants will ever be a king. No! Saul's like, I'm going to kill that guy. 
Do you, I mean, do you, there's, there's, there's chapters and chapters where David's on the run. He's hanging out with the Philistines, and then he backstabs them because he's like a good, he's a good uh, Hebrew Israelite. So he, he comes to them for solace, and he kills them. And at the whole time, Saul's looking for him and sending troops. It's the worst possible situation. It is not a coronation by any means. In fact, if David is on the run, and he's sitting there, and he's like, wait, I'm supposed to be king. And yet, those guys are coming after me. God, why have you abandoned me? And yet we know that God hasn't abandoned him at all. This is what it looks like when God arrives. You might think of it this way. God's coming, his advent, his arrival, is a lot like a bear taking honey from a beehive. This is what it looks like when God comes in. When God sets down, arrives, he's like a big bear and there's like just a whole bunch of beehives. I saw the remake of The Jungle Book and there's this awesome scene where Mowgli's like trying to get the, the honey without bees. But you can imagine what happens when a bear goes in and he's like, ooh, honey. And suddenly it's just a swarm as far as the eye can see. Hornets have come up, right? The bear wants the honey, but suddenly there's all these attacks and stings. And, and why? Why? Because there was a status quo. Things were stable. They may not have been good, but they were stable, and the bear comes in and wrecks everything. And suddenly all the bees on whom the stability, for, for them, the stability was so important, they're mad, they're crazed, they're upset because this thing has come in and shaken up the order of the way things are. God's coming shakes up the order of the way things are, turns everything upside down. Friends, we live in a world that is ruled in a lot of ways by the powers, and we've been speaking about them for several weeks and they run the world, and they run South Orange County. And when God shows up in the, in the, as Coast Bible Church through us, they get upset. They don't like it when God comes. And so they cause a ruckus. They get stirred up. When Herod sees that the new king is coming, he's like, I don't like that, because that takes my power away. And he gets stirred up. Pharaoh gets stirred up. The Babylonians get stirred up. Saul gets stirred up. Brothers and sisters, if you are looking for the arrival of God, don't expect something cheery and happy and sentimental. Because the enemy does not want this to happen. There are some of you right now in this place who are in crisis. It's may, maybe this crisis has been going on for years. I, I don't know. Maybe it's recent. But you're coming into the Christmas season and things are upside down. It's chaotic. In some cases, it might be painful, violent, hurtful. In some places, in some cases, it might be despairing, hopeless. And you might be sitting there thinking, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? When chaos comes, friends, God hasn't abandoned you. He has just arrived. When chaos comes, God has not abandoned you. He has just arrived. That's crazy. And that might be good news, but it's hard to tell. 
Because when you're in the middle of the crisis, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the fear and the pain and, and, and the being shaken up, when you're, I mean, our, our sister Susie, when, when you're in the hospital right there, where she is right now, when you're in that place, it sure doesn't look like this is, oh, the divine plan. It doesn't look like this is great. It doesn't look like the coming of God. Unless you know that the coming of God is often accompanied by the slaughter of kids. Wherever you are at in your life, and you are looking desperate for God to come, I would say that you should look for the places that are most upturned. In fact, I would say it's very possible that if everything's cheery and everything's great, status quo is awesome, look out. If you say, God, come, you might be inviting a maelstrom. You might be inviting a tempest, a storm. If you say, Lord, come, I'm expecting your arrival, you may be, in, you may be waiting for something you have no idea You just don't know what you're asking for. And for those of you who have just come out of a crisis, you've been in crisis for some time, and now you're in this place where like, God came and he he saved me, showed his mighty arm. How did that story start? It started with crisis. It started with disaster. That's how it always starts. This isn't, the, 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 the story of God's arrival is not, things were great and then they got better. No one wants to see that movie. It starts with the belly of the beast. It starts when things look hopeless, when they're impossible, when they can't be done. And you're like, God, why have you abandoned me? And then you look back and you realize, oh my goodness, Lord, you have arrived. Maybe, you know, maybe it's your marriage. Maybe your marriage is messed up. Don't say to yourself, God, why have you abandoned this marriage? Instead, look and say, God, maybe you've arrived for this marriage. Maybe this is our opportunity. It's our chance to listen to you and, 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 and get in deep. And, and it's going to be hard. It's already hard. And maybe it needs to get shaken up. Maybe it needs to get juggled. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, it's finances. Maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe those things are upside down. It's a mess. And it's destroying your life. Maybe that's God arriving. See, when God doesn't arrive, that's when everything's just like that. But when things start to get shaken up, That means God's coming in and he's saying, let's do something. And yeah, it's going to hurt. I know that. But see where we can go. You know, for me personally, when I'm thinking about the coming of Jesus, I'm thinking a lot about our church. Um, You know, last week I shared with you, I was just honest with you. Man, we have lost a lot of people in the last couple years. Sometimes it's dispiriting. And sometimes I feel like, God, what, are, are, you, are you taken off from coast? And when I hear the story of the coming of Christ, I start to think, well, maybe, maybe what's going on is that we're getting juggled up. Maybe God didn't take off. Maybe God's just started. Brothers and sisters, as we head into Christmas and we celebrate the coming of of the sun. Let us not have our hearts quashed or, 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 or quelched or squelched. Don't let your spirit be, be put down um, because things seem like they're not right. 
In fact, if things seem like they're not right, be encouraged because great things are about to happen. And if things seem really, really good, look out. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that your coming looks so strange. We thank you that, um, that it's surprising, that it's, that it's different. It's not what we expect. We thank you that when you come, you shake things up as hard and as challenging, as fearful as it is. God, I pray for every person here who is in crisis, however long they've been there. God, I pray that they will see in that crisis your arrival and that they will take heart, that we will all take heart, that when you came to Israel and Egypt, things got worse before they got better. That when you came in the exile to Babylon, things got worse before they got better. That when you came to David, things got worse before they got better. And then when you came as Christ, things got really bad before they got really, really great. I pray for just a spirit of peace and joy and hope for those who don't have it. Gratefulness and gratitude for those who do. A warm spirit of joy and conviction that you are God and that you will carry us home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.